0: This is Mark Morin. You are listening to New Directions in Film, a 206.com podcast interview series. Today, I'm speaking with Bao Tran, the director of The Paper Tigers. Bao, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Thanks for taking the time. Now, your movie, The Paper Tigers, it just had its world premiere a couple weeks ago at the Fantasia International Film Festival, and so far it's been very well received. So congratulations on the premiere and the success of the movie so far. Thank you. Now, for people who don't know, what is the story? What is The Paper Tigers?
1: Paper Tigers is a American U.S. indie film, and it's a kung fu dramedy. I guess it's got drama, comedy, kung fu action, kind of like the whole kitchen sink, if you will. <laughs> but the way we basically like to explain it is that it's about these three out-of-shape kung fu brothers who used to train together, but now they've gone their separate ways and they find out their master has died and they have to figure out and avenge their master. So basically imagine if you had to fight a challenge match, death match tonight, but you had to go pick up your kid from soccer. So just (laughs) trying to play with all those different things of what that means in in modern life, these ancient themes and a modern day American life.
0: Now, me being a, a middle-aged man, your movie spoke to me in a lot of ways that I wasn't necessarily like willing to go down that road a little bit, but it, it, was, it actually helped me relate to the story a lot. So it, it was very well done in that respect. This is very much a Seattle movie, and it does a great job of highlighting the Chinatown International District here in Seattle. So why was it important for you to tell this story here in Seattle, using locations in Seattle, and what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, I mean,
1: definitely a couple things. A lot of things go into it, obviously, and it almost felt like it was just the perfect storm of just all the we're doing, trying to do all the right things for the right reasons. I think, first of all, primarily because we're from Seattle, it's a story that we know, and the martial arts history of the city is so rich and so varied, obviously, but we all know Bruce Lee planted down here and laid down his roots here in Seattle when he first came to America. And, um, you know, a lot of his first students were multiracial. His first student, Jesse Glover, was a black American. He had Filipino Americans. He had Native Americans. He had white Americans. You know, he had all these students from very different stripes and classes, and he got a lot of flack for it from the Chinatown community or the Chinese Kung Fu community. So it was groundbreaking in that sense that he was going to you know teach a very traditional art that was meant for you know a very specific culture and, and race and spread it out into the world so we have all that to thank as far as Seattle being that breeding ground because I think if he were to land you know maybe in a more how would you say I don't know maybe a bigger Chinatown or just kind of like were there more Chinese people around him I am not sure if he would had an opportunity to grow do you know what I mean like maybe if he landed LA or if he stayed in San Francisco and Oakland he might have just stayed a little closer to Chinatown closer to his people whereas Seattle I think the population wasn't as big as those big cities and it kind of forced him to kind of like look outside so anyways I digress, but that is kind of the history of Seattle that we, you know, it's just an unhidden uh, gem of, of, of a city and history, especially for martial Arts. So that's one thing. The second thing is obviously being hometown kids. We, you know, have made movies here and we've made all our stories and just kind of like made, our, made our, our name, if you will, however hard it is to Google. But <laughs> we've made our name in this town and this has been, you know, our homes and our families are here. So we all wanted to tell a story that was unique to our experience. And uh, Seattle Chinatown ID is, you know, obviously very rich in its own right. So that was the second part. And then the third part is just the community was so ready to see a hometown film being made. The other part of the story of this equation is for film production. uh, If you may or may not know, we here in Seattle lose a lot of production up to other cities, uh, especially to Vancouver, right. which is just north of the border to Canada, about three hours away. So there's a lot of like movies that have been shot or set in Seattle, but actually end up being shot in Vancouver, which is kind of like, huh, <laughs> <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, I believe. Um, yeah. There was, oh, there's one movie called Battle in Seattle that was shot in Vancouver. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's always kind of like, we never get a chance to shine. And we always kind of like, you know, we get cool shots of the Space Needle but kind into the rest of the scenes that are in Vancouver, not yeah. knocking Vancouver. I love Vancouver and I love Canada. <laughs> it's um, not Seattle, though, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. So it's just kind of like it kind of like you know we want to be specific. It's about being specific and authentic, and be able to be able to tell the story from our scene and our location and a specific you know look. You know, we love kind of like the look of Seattle as well. So. Yeah, so that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, we love Seattle and that's why we wanted to make our movie here because it just felt right in so many different reasons.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that really came through was when I was watching the movie, I know Seattle intimately. I'm from Washington. I know the Chinatown (laughs) International District pretty well. So every time there was a scene on a city block or going down a street, I mean, they're like, oh, I know that place. I've been there. It's like, I think I know where they filmed that, but I'm not sure. And I want to look it up to see where it's at. So I think it's really cool for people that are from here when people get a chance to watch the movie to be able to find those specific locations that they know so well. And then also for people not from Seattle to get a real flavor of what the city is instead, like you said, you always see the picture of the flyover of the Space Needle or maybe the the stadiums and the ferry going across the water, but your movie really said, here's what Seattle really is and here's what it really looks like. Was it difficult to find specific locations to go to or did you just know, hey, I want to go here for these particular shots? Yeah, a little
1: half-half. You know, within any film, you have to be really resourceful because it's only, sometimes is sometimes the only opportunity or location that's available to you. So it's not necessarily, you know, your wish list isn't totally fulfilled. So I think we had to be practical in terms of the budget and the timing and the locations that we want to do. But by and by, I mean, The international district Chinatown was just like open arms. The community really came out. Harry from Taitung came out and made snacks for us and meals for us. Hood Famous, you know, came out and brought snacks for us. So there's a lot just like we just this was our squad. This was our town. And, you know, everyone again wanted to see a local movie. And, and support it. So the Denise Vets Hall, like shout out stuff, like just all, all these incredible communities and orgs that were in, in the IT in terms of supporting the film. So that one, you know, that makes it the easier thing because we were able to kind of like, okay, hey, can we use this place as a rehearsal or just kind of like maybe shorter notice or just be able to do something pro bono and gratis, obviously. So those are always like always very generous and helpful. That was definitely an element. We want to make sure it was a story that felt right. We didn't want to make a postcard, you know, we Wasn't trying to make a tourist video for Seattle, right? But we wanted, you know, to show the background and backdrop and not have to hide, you know, street signs and hide anything that was like, you know, that was not meant to be there because it's Seattle. So we wanted to embrace all of that. So absolutely. Yeah.
0: Now, I'd mentioned the world premiere at Fantasia. Now, having the world premiere there and that's a to me, that's a pretty big, big time festival, even with it being a virtual festival. That still must have been a really big moment for you. So tell me about that experience.
1: Fantasia is almost a bit of a homecoming for us. So it Fantasia pre-pandemic, they're usually in June. Right. So we were kind of hoping that it would be possible, but we were still finishing the movie. I mean, you know, we were still in post-production. So it just, we had questions about whether we could actually deliver on time. So oh, wow. it did kind of work out <laughs> in a way that uh, they decided to go virtual and push towards um, the end of August. And we Basically, actually, just our timeline, we delivered like the film two days before opening night. So, you know, we needed all (laughs) that time anyway. So it was just like, you know, it just kind of like happened all in one go. And I would say kudos and congratulations and thank you to Fantasia, because for them to have kind of that foresight and just say, we're going to shift right away to virtual was very bold because you could see a lot of fests that were canceling outright and just saying, we're not going to do anything this year or some just saying postpone but then there were no real clear plans so and and it's tough for everybody i'm not i'm not saying those are bad decisions but you know at least fantasia just said you know let's try to make a show let's put on a show here we you know pull up the barns and we're gonna put on (laughs) something like do figure something out so I, i i really admire their innovation on that so yeah so absolutely it just became kind of like a very fitting world premiere for us especially at fantasia and in a lot of ways we had more eyeballs on it than usual because it was virtual. And so people, it was open to all of Canada right. versus anyone who might've been physically in Montreal. So yeah, it just kind of like changed the board for us a little bit. We're just trying to enjoy the ride and be be as thankful as we can.
0: Oh, that's great. So it sounds like it actually worked to your advantage. So, you know, good, good news there. Let's go back in time a few months prior to that to when the pandemic first became a reality. Now, what were your first thoughts as a filmmaker as the pandemic began to take shape and things started shutting down?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was obviously, <laughs> I think we all, when, uh, you know, we rang in the new year at 2020, I think we were all like ready to be done with 2019 for various <laughs> reasons. But, you know, there was January's full hope, like I was actually at Sundance to uh, support my friend's film, another man named Bao. Uh, Bao Nguyen's film documentary on <laughs> Be Water on Bruce Lee. But uh, yeah, I mean, being on the ground there at our Park City at Sundance in January, you see a, a lot of the films that had potential to *Chili be, be screened later in the year theatrically, right? right? So there was like Palm Springs and Minari. And just like, it was just like, hey, another banner year for Asian Americans. And we were kind of excited to see what was going to happen. And, and, go, and then come February, I think things started dipping and uh, at least in Seattle as as you know you know we were kind of the first wave of the pandemic so you know right. Seattle and New York kind of got hit hard earlier than other states so we we got that dose of reality earlier than others I guess in, in a way to put it and, and then unfortunately you know our one of our family had passed on so um oh, no. our producers uh yuji okamoto and his his family their parents had passed due to covid uh, in early march unfortunately so i mean that hit home to us and so a lot it was it was something that we kind of like were shook to reality much quicker and much sooner so i think we were already starting to shift gears and thinking about how to you know figure out what it would mean for this release and seeing festivals say where this is still going like we saw can you know they were still saying <laughs> no we're still going you know this is like we're gonna and then you know they held out until the like, maybe the last minute right and right. then South by was holding on to the last minute South by was a little trickier I understand because was in March but you know can had like two or three months of just saying no we're, we're going this is happening and then only to be canceled yeah I think we just kind of knew the writing on the wall so earlier than others so it just kind of gave us a little bit more like let's just keep planning for contingencies because I think that's a lesson learned from indie films or just filmmaking in general is just you know you always have to have a backup plan and then a backup plan
0: and then another one so it's like (laughs) yeah I mean we just have to roll with the punches and here we are so we're in the middle of all of that happening. And then all of a sudden the protests begin after the, specifically after the George Floyd incident and the entire world, especially here in America, takes, you know, even another turn after what happened with the pandemic. So, what were your thoughts as the protests started to take shape? Cause same thing with the pandemic, how it started here in Seattle, the protests here in Seattle, I think were a little more prominent than in some other cities. So uh, what were what's your perspective on how that developed? Yeah, I mean,
1: and I say this because I was in kind of a post-production den. <laughs> I mean, I've I'm a little bit like under the radar, and we've just been working, you know, straight up since we wrapped shooting in September of right. 2019. So we've been working in, in our little bubble for a while, but. You know, first of all, just watching the process, and I mean, it was it was past due. Our country needs to address and really face and confront a lot of these realities that um, we have in front of us, especially with systemic oppression prejudice. Right. So it's all this stuff was past due and was due to happen. You know, put that on top of the pandemic you have, you know, you know, kind of a very strange times, you know, you just have this kind of like, you know, the conflict of protesting versus being out and the risk of being in mixed crowds. So obviously those, those are all things. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about what do we value here in America as citizens and um, people of the world. So that's definitely important as well. So For us, we were just kind of like watching it happen while we were working. So there wasn't too much stuff that we could necessarily do, but we just, you know, saw everything in with bated breath as things were unfolding. And for us, we were just kind of keep working. So I don't know if it answers your question, but, you know, in terms of like what it meant for preparation or how we're going to do it, we were just kind of, we just were on our own timeline in a lot of ways and doing our work heads down a little bit.
0: Has the mental and cultural shift that's taken place over the last few months affected how you view what it means to be a filmmaker?
1: You know, I've heard chatter back and forth about in this post-pandemic and oh, what kind of movies are people going to watch and what kind of movies are going to be... Like, even now, we can't have... We're going to have to acknowledge the world that these characters are in or in a pandemic. And, you know, we can't have people shaking hands anymore and, and just stuff <laughs> like that. So, I mean, I think everyone's still trying to make sense of it. And then maybe there's a sense of, like, always wanting to return to normalcy. I don't know if this is similar to you. your What happened with, you know, in your life, but we noticed, like... Kind of like when the pandemic first started or the lockdowns, let's say the lockdowns were a little more coming down and everyone's like, oh, it's just kind of passing. It's just kind of temporary and maybe we'll just kind of make out of it pretty soon. And then it was just kind of like thinking, oh, this is going a little bit longer than expected. And it just kind of like drags on, drags on. But in the early stage, everyone still wanted to be, quote unquote, productive. Like, here's how it is life hack you know being in (laughs) in the lockdown and it's just like these everyone's still trying to be in that rat race mode where you know maybe it's there's a lesson of just stop and we have to listen to what's happening and that's you know in a lot of ways kind of the lesson of martial arts sometimes it's not about just the doing it's also the stopping and and just like being in the moment because that's going to tell you more about what's happening than trying to jump into it and learn by doing right so so i don't know (laughs) <laughs> that's your, your question. I think what we about, all don't know what we're doing. You know, Robert Town said "You nobody knows anything. So I think that's
0: where <laughs> we're at. So. Do we even know what making a movie looks like right now?
1: Yeah, production is funny. Um, production, obviously, in, in various states are getting back. And then, then outside of the U.S., they've been back to work. Mm-hmm. So I think it remains to be seen. I mean, just this week, didn't Batman come down with COVID? So, right. you know, there's... I think it's going to be a lot of touch and go, kind of like fits and starts for production. There's going to be, as we find, kind of protocols and and figure out the best way to do it. I think that's just the only way that we can figure it out. I think for cost-wise, it's going to cost more. And time-wise, it's going to take longer. So those are all considerations you have to make into making a movie, especially for a low-budget film. The margins are so tight as it is. And, you know, where the time is so tight already. So all those things are going to be real factors that we have to consider into actually, you know, the feasibility of something. Yeah, there's, again, a lot of hesitancy. There's a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think there's anything that can be stopped around there. People can always write. But in terms of producing, that might be tricky. But I think in terms of the audience, I think and I hope that people wanna see positive and hopeful stuff. I, I know, right. I bet Hollywood's pitching, you know, tons of pandemic stories or more zombie stories or, you know, just any type of like <laughs> end of world apocalyptic <laughs> type of stories. Right, so I'm right. sure that's picked, but I'm
0: not sure that's what people wanna see. Yeah, you yeah. would think that people want to, would want to have more of an escape from that type of story right now, rather than you know diving into exaggerated versions of what we're actually actually yeah. going through. But no, but that's really interesting, and it, you know speaks to what you were talking about a minute ago. There's just so many unknowns, so I understand it's hard to answer questions when we really don't know what the answers are. So, uh, that being said, I wanted to go back to talking about your movie, The Paper Tigers. When people have the opportunity to see the movie, whether it's at one of the film festivals, virtual or otherwise, or whether at some point it, at some point, hopefully, again to be in a theater or just from the comfort of their own home. If you have some type of a virtual release, what is the number one thing you want people to take away from watching the movie?
1: Well, I want them to have fun and enjoy and just kind of be able to enjoy the values of what martial arts are. And, you know, not necessarily meaning you have to know martial arts or practice it, but just knowing what it means as far as the codes of martial arts and just like the simple codes of life of just saying what you mean and mean what you say. And yeah, just holding your what we say and what we what we do um, have a lot of impact to the ones around us, especially the ones we love. So, I mean, as simple as that. And if they can have uh, a great time as well, that's that's always the best.
0: What's up next for the movie?
1: So a lot of festivals will be streaming virtually and they've uh, that seems to be the new. Uh, model now, at least for the rest of the year. So coming this fall, we'll be screening at several virtual film festivals and this time available to the US where Fantasia was uh, streaming to Canada. But we do have the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival in late September and I think it runs a whole month but we're going to do like a, a viewing window and that is to be announced but that will be streaming to just Southern California. I think the film festivals are trying to still replicate you know, what it means like if you were actually a local and go to a physical screening so they're still trying to hold on to that community eventizing so i think that's great too so that's really important but you know hopefully we'll be able to kind of hopscotch around different film festivals that'll be streaming at different they call it geo fences you know so different um, fences and, and and regions so we should be able to have availability or streaming availability through festivals to the whole u.s you know by the end of the year so there'll be opportunities throughout but then hopefully eventually we can have some type of distribution announcement or distribution opportunities for people to see it um, hopefully in theaters. Um. In 2021, I'm I'm on the, I'm on looking on the bright side. I'm optimistic. So whether that looks like theaters or reduced capacity or drive-ins, you know, I think we're all kind of like definitely possibilities that we would love to kind of have for people to see because it is a crowd movie. I do think that people should watch this with an audience, number one, because I think that at the heart of it is what cinema is like. That's what movies are. And you should see it with, you know, people and, and have that great reactions together. So that's always the fun of it, number one. But number two, you know, it's just a better experience, you know, just to be able to see it in a bigger theater and, and, and have people hopefully in our countries will be in a great state where we can hopefully be optimistic about going to theaters and not, you know, <laughs> fearful. So those yeah. are all things that we, we would like to see and then hopefully eventually stream and, and definitely be available to anyone else who's not able to participate in the theaters and, and go to the theater. So yeah, we just wanted as many people to be able to have opportunities to see this.
0: Val, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And you've described a little bit about the roadmap for the movie. So I hope it has all the success that it deserves going down the road. Any last thoughts before we wrap things up? Thank you for having us. Yeah, shout out to Seattle.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we'll have some opportunities to screen physically in Seattle as well. I'm not sure what that would look like. Seattle International was canceled for 2020. So we definitely want some moment or some event where we can take it home and bring it home to our families.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you again. And everybody look for the paper tigers as it comes through festivals and at some point in a theater or streaming platform. This is Mark Morin with Bao Tran on the 206.com podcast series, New Directions in Film. Next week's episode will debut on Tuesday, September 22nd, and will feature Diane Paragas, whose film Yellow Rose will be coming out in theaters on October 9th. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of these interviews. If you can spare a couple minutes to leave a review, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast.